Our reading for today is 1 Peter 13 through 1, 13 through 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that were, was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we continue the second half of 1 Peter chapter 1. And we have entitled this series, Strangers Like Me. Now how many of you went home last week and looked up that song on YouTube? Okay, you can thank me after the service. It's the greatest song Disney has ever made. And we talked about the fact that you and I, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, are strangers in this world, but everyone around us is still just like us because we're all human beings. And so how do we live in light of the fact that you and I are in a world that is not our home, but still called to be salt and light in the communities where we live? And so last week we talked about how the initiation of our salvation is a gift from God alone. And we talked about how suffering is inevitable. We're all going to experience these trials that come our way. But we can rest assured in the living hope that Peter tells us about that in the end everything will be okay. Because Jesus is Lord and he sits on his throne. And so this morning we're going to continue into this chapter. And one of the very first things they teach you when you're in school to learn how to study the Bible is that anytime you come across the word, therefore, there's a really cheesy saying that we use. You have to find what it is there for. And so we see at the very beginning of verse 13 that Peter has this word, therefore. So what he is saying is everything that I have just told you in verses 1 through 12, in light of that, Therefore, do this. And what Peter tells the believers to do is to prepare their minds for action. Literally, this means to gird up the loins of your mind. What Peter is saying is, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus as an exile, you better be prepared mentally for what Jesus is going to bring your way. You better be all in. So not only do we prepare our minds for action, but Peter tells us that we are to be sober-minded. Now, the danger here can be to think that all Peter is talking about is not getting drunk on alcohol. 
But Peter is talking about much more than just remaining sober from alcohol. In fact, I love this quote from the New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner as he's describing what Peter is talking about when he says sober and absent-minded. He says, there is a way of living that becomes dull to the reality of God that is anesthetized by the attractions of this world. When people are lulled into such drowsiness, they lose sight of Christ's future revelation of himself and concentrate only on fulfilling their earthly desires. You see, being sober-minded is not just about not getting drunk on alcohol. It's allowing yourself to be completely oblivious to how God is working in the world. Many times we think that as long as we avoid the evil dangers in the world, that we're okay. But here's the reality. The enemy is more than likely going to distract you by things in the world that are not bad, but that are neutral. Because he knows that most believers in Jesus Christ know to avoid the really, really bad things in the world. Murder, pornography, sex outside of marriage. The devil knows where we stand on these issues. But when we get to the neutral issues, he knows that he can distract us. So let me ask the question this morning. What are the neutral issues in your life that are causing you to be dull to the presence of God in your life. The things that aren't necessarily bad, but are also not necessarily good. I've talked a lot about technology, and I believe in our culture today that is one of the primary neutral things that the enemy distracts us with. How many hours a day do we spend on our phones, on our computers, watching TV, not even doing bad things on those devices, but just consuming our minds with information. And when we're off those devices, how much time do we spend wishing we were on them? And so for you and I, and what Peter is teaching his audience here, is do not be distracted by the things of this world that might not necessarily be bad, but don't lead you closer to Christ. That is the sober-mindedness that Peter is relying on here. And that's what he's talking about. So let's go back to middle school for a moment. For some of you, this was just a couple of years ago. For others of you, it might have been 70 years ago, 80 years ago. And when I was in middle school, we learned how to diagram sentences. And this is where you learn what every single part of speech means in the English language. Subject, verb, noun, adjective, adverb. And what we see Peter doing here is the two participle phrases that he uses here. Now, participles were always one of the most difficult concepts to grasp because they're verbal adjectives. They're actions that modify a noun. And so when we look at this verse 13, sometimes we think that the main point of this verse is Peter telling us to prepare our mind for action and to be sober-minded. But those are participles. The main focus of this verse is set. Peter is telling his audience, set your hope on what? On grace. If we set our hope on anything else as exiles in a foreign land, we are going to be sorely disappointed. We have to set our hope fully on God's grace. Grace is a church 
word that we use, and it simply means getting something that we do not deserve. That is what grace is. I am a three on the Enneagram. How many of you have taken this personality test? It's kind of like the craze right now, okay? There's Myers-Briggs, there's the Enneagram, there's all sorts of things out there. And we know that personality tests, they all have their strengths and their weaknesses, okay? Now, a three on the Enneagram is the personality type that is a performer slash achiever. So this personality type, generally speaking, works hard. They have a drive to succeed. They want to do well. They want to please others. Those are the strengths of that personality type. The weakness of this personality type is you are afraid of failure. You compare yourself to others. And here's the worst part. You are self-sufficient. You believe that everything that happens to you in your life is a result of your own doing. So if I'm to be honest with you this morning, the fact that salvation comes only through God's grace towards me can be difficult for me to grasp as a believer because I want so hard to please God. I want so hard to do the things that I know will make him happy with me. But if I'm going to rest completely on God's grace, what that means is I don't have to be completely self-sufficient. I have to be completely God-sufficient. And so maybe you can identify with that this morning. You're living your life trying to achieve, trying to do everything you possibly can to make God satisfied with you and to make God love you. And what Peter is teaching us here is you must set your hope fully on grace. That is the only thing that makes us right with God. We can never earn favor with him. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we freely receive the free gift of salvation. So we focus on grace. Number two, we see that holiness matters. Now Peter is writing and he calls them obedient children. And he tells them, do not be conformed to the former lusts of your ignorance. Now we don't know what these former lusts were. But I would imagine that they're the same sins, the same temptations that you and I struggle with today. Now, just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't suddenly mean that you are immune to the things of this world. It doesn't mean that you will no longer face temptation. Sins will continue to come at you and creep at your door. They don't just go away. Peter tells these people that while you're living as exiles in a foreign land that is not your own, you need to understand that your holiness matters. You see, you and I are not just concerned with our own reputation. We should be concerned with the reputation of the God whom we serve. In the Old Testament, when God calls apart the Israelites and he sets them apart, which is what holiness means, to be set apart, he told them, I want you to be holy as I am holy. And so today, we can't just be concerned about our conduct because it affects our own reputation. It affects the reputation of the God whom we serve. The reality is that there are many people in the world today 
who will not follow Jesus, not because of his teachings, not because of what the Bible says about him, but because they see the conduct of his followers and they say, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. Fair or unfair, our behavior, our holiness affects those around us. And it might even affect people we know coming into the church, coming to hear the good news of the gospel because they've seen the way that we behave and they say, if that's how followers of Jesus behave, I don't want anything to do with it. So it's a gut check for all of us here. As Peter writes to these exiles and he says, your conduct among all these people that you are not like, it matters. People are watching you. So let's ask the question of ourselves this morning. Has there ever been a time when our conduct has potentially stopped someone that we know from following after Jesus? Have we aligned ourselves too closely with a political party or a social issue and that has drawn somebody away from the gospel? Has our anger, has our judgment, has our pride been a turnoff to somebody who was exploring the truths of Jesus and they said, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, then count me out. You see, a lot of times we don't have a problem avoiding the big sins that even society would say is wrong, but it's the sins of the heart. It's the pride. It's the judgment. It's the lust. It's the anger that no one has to know about except us. And we keep these things close to the vest. And we forget that our holiness in the city where we live matters. We are called to be set apart. And so if our holiness matters, it actually should point us back to the first point. To focus on grace. Because the reality is, if we examine our holiness, what we're going to find is, we are not very good at being holy. We struggle with this every single day to live a life that pleases God, which forces us to focus on the fact that God, through His Son Jesus, lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And so we focus on the grace available to us through Jesus. And then Peter tells his followers, I want you to live in reverence. He tells them to conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your exile. Now what is this fear that Peter is talking about? Is it a terrified fear? More than likely, Peter is talking about a holy reverence. A holy respect for God. That we should live our lives every day in fear. Not that we should be afraid of God, but that we love Him so much, we have such a respect and a reverence for Him that we live our lives in that way. And Peter tells his audience, you have been ransomed from the feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. These Gentiles come from a pagan background. They don't come from a religious background of Judaism like the Jews did. They come from a long line of people who were worshiping false gods, making sacrifices that Jews in the day and time would have said, this is evil. But they didn't know any better because this was inherited all the way down the generations. Some of you in this room come from a legacy of faith. 
from the earliest memories you have. Your parents might have had you in church praying for your salvation. Your grandparents might have been teaching you the scriptures. So some of us in this room have this legacy of faith that has been passed down from one generation to the next. But these Gentile exiles do not have that. They inherited a futile and empty way of life from their forefathers. And they have been ransomed from that life to life in Jesus Christ through his blood. Now in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were asked by God to bring sacrifices to him, notice that almost every single time that command is given, God asks them to bring an animal without defect. In other words, God wanted the Israelites to know that the sacrifice that you are bringing should cost you something. It wasn't that they brought the sickest or the three-legged animal or the one that was about to die anyways and they said, God, here you go. I didn't want this thing anyways, so let me make this my sacrifice to you and we'll be good to go. No, God said, I want you to bring one of your best animals because I know that it costs you something. Just like it cost God the Father something when he brought Jesus into this world. When he asked his son to leave his place right next to him and come to this earth to live among a broken humanity. And he died on a cross. Many times I think we feel like God was just stoic and he knew that this is what he had to do. And so Jesus, go and do your thing and I'm going to stand here strong and everything's going to be fine. No, it broke God's heart to bring his son into the world and ultimately die for our sin. It cost God something to bring Jesus here. The same way with the Israelites. That sacrifice cost them something. And Peter says that they were ransomed from slavery into freedom. But today in our world, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you adhere to any type of religious system, here is what most people think it means to be a part of a religious group. You are ransomed from freedom to slavery. That's the narrative that surrounds being a follower of Jesus or any other religion. That you are being ransomed from your freedom and brought into a system that will ultimately enslave you. But the Bible teaches the exact opposite. I'm convinced that the majority of Americans who do not profess faith in Jesus do so not because they are offended by what they read in this book, not because they don't believe what Jesus did, but because they do not want to submit to the authority of another person. They do not want to relinquish control. But what they don't understand is if all you do is submit to your own desires and make all of the choices according to your own standard, then you are still worshiping a God, and it is the God of self. Which, by the way, is the most popular God in our world today. When you choose to follow Jesus, you are ransomed from slavery to freedom. Freedom in Jesus Christ to live according to the standards that he has set for you. Remember a few weeks ago, I gave you the illustration of the fish. Remember that 
we said that if a fish is taken out of the water, technically it's more free. It can roam all over the earth. It's no longer confined just to this river or just to this ocean. But it's actually not more free because a fish was designed to live in water. And so if you take it out of water onto land, even though it has the entire world to roam, it will die. And it is not more free. In the same way, if you have a sailboat and you are sailing effortlessly through the water and you make the decision that you want to take your sailboat and move it onto shallow water, you are welcome to do so, but you will destroy that boat. Freedom is not the absence of constraint on our choices. True freedom is submitting to certain realities. And the reality for every human being alive today is that we have been created in the image of God. Therefore, there is a way in which we are to live that will unleash freedom for us. And it is only through Jesus Christ. And any other way that we try to be free is actually enslaving us. Freedom comes through Jesus Christ. So he tells them to live in reverence. And then ultimately he tells them that the gospel endures. Now these believers who are in exile are struggling because they're in a place that is not their own. And anytime you're in a place that you're not familiar with, you immediately want to find something that looks familiar or some person that you know. And you leech onto that to give you familiarity and to give you comfort. And Peter tells them, I want you to find people that you can have a sincere brotherly love with. In other words, find other believers in the exile that you are in because you guys have something in common and you can relate to one another. Now, the majority of us in this room have no problem with this concept. There are two segments of the population in the church today. There are those that surround themselves with believers all of the time. Their work, their home, their neighborhood, their church. And they go from one location of believers to the next location of believers. And everywhere they go, they are surrounded by people that are like them. And there's another segment of the population in the church today who slips in the back door and sits on the very back row and leaves immediately after the service is over. And their mentality is, I've already got all the friends I need. I've already got the community I need. So I'm just going to come and worship God and then I'm going to leave and go about my business. Both segments of that population that I just described are unbiblical. The first segment of that population that surrounds themselves at all times with believers and people that think just like them. They are not being missional. You cannot be missional if all you know are believers. If every relationship you have is with someone who already believes what you believe, then you are disobeying the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28. But in the same way, if you believe that you can come in here every week and worship and leave, And never be held accountable, never be vulnerable, never be in community 
with the church, then you were wrong as well. Every single letter that we read in the New Testament is written to a community of believers that were doing life together. You cannot live the Christian life in isolation, and you cannot live the Christian life completely consumed with the Christian culture all of the time. The way to be most obedient to the calling that Jesus has placed on our lives is to have one foot fully invested in the life of his church and one foot fully invested in the world in which we live. That's what it means to be missional. So we have to examine our own hearts. Do we know people that are not saved? Well, the answer is yes, you do. Are you investing in them? And then on the other side, am I willing to come into this building every week and be vulnerable with other people? Be in a community of people that challenge me, that encourage me, that can pray for me. I've never met a believer in Jesus Christ who came to me and said, I'm growing so much as a believer in isolation. I'm still waiting on somebody to share that with me. It's not going to happen. The Christian life was designed to be lived in community. Do not rob yourself of the joy of having a brother or sister come to you and say, you're wrong on this. You're not living the way that God wants you to live. I am grateful, not angry, not upset. I am grateful for the people that speak truth into my life and tell me when I'm out of line. I want that. And God wants that for all of us as we live in community with one another. As Peter concludes his message here, he quotes a passage from Isaiah chapter 40. So in the book of Isaiah, he's writing to a group of Israelites that are in exile. Just like the exile that we're talking about here, he's writing to a group of believers that are in exile at the hands of the Babylonian Empire. And so in Isaiah 40, he tells them, look, the Babylonians are not going to rule you forever. There is going to come a time when this will pass. And he says, the word of the Lord will endure. Now, Peter is writing his letter, most likely, in the 60s A.D. So at this time, the word of the Lord that we are talking about is not talking about the entire Bible. Okay, We don't have an entire Bible in 60 A.D. In fact, we don't have a completed New Testament in a big document form until the 4th century. So what is the word of the Lord that Peter is talking about here? It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. Peter is telling his audience that the good news of Jesus will endure forever. So when that cancer diagnosis comes, when you lose that loved one in a tragic car accident, when you feel like God is being distant and everything around you is crumbling, the word of the Lord endures forever. The good news of the gospel has no expiration date ever. 
There will be people that come and go. Teachers that will come and preach a message of wealth and health and happiness. There will be people that will predict the end of the world. People that will predict the next crash of the stock market. And all of these people will come and they will go. And sadly for you and I, most of us in this room outside of one or two generations will never be remembered or heard from again. But that is not the case for the gospel. Jesus will reign on his throne forever. And that's what Peter is teaching these exiles here. While you're struggling, while you're in a place that is not your home, while you're in a place that is unfamiliar, experiencing things that you are not comfortable with, understand that Jesus knows where you are and he endures until the end. Pastor Yusef, pastors a church in Central Asia. And one Saturday night, he was preparing his message and he heard a commotion outside of his church. This happened to be the Saturday night before Easter. These men were yelling at him to come outside. So he stepped outside of his church and they began verbally assaulting him, telling him how the message of Jesus and his church was not welcomed in this Muslim community. In fact, they punched him in the gut and they pushed him down the stairs and he fell back. And the next morning, he showed up at church and word had gotten out among the congregation that these Muslim men were threatening to destroy this church. So people were on edge all morning, wondering what this pastor would do. So they sang songs, they read scripture, and about halfway through the service, three men came and they sat in the back of the church. And everyone noticed in this setting, when you have a visitor come, They're not always there for the same reasons that me and you think a visitor would want to come to church. But the pastor had no idea that they were there. So he stood up when it was time for him to preach and he read the text and he began to preach and he looked out over all of his audience and he saw these three men sitting in the back and he had a decision to make. Do I proclaim the gospel or not? And he spoke a message of God's love and of God's grace. And the missionary that was sitting in the audience said he could see the pastor trembling as he was sharing this message. But nevertheless, he shared it. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ for many of our brothers and sisters around the world who experience persecution unlike you and I will ever Imagine or experience. The word of the Lord endures forever. This pastor knew that the gospel message, regardless of who was pressuring him, regardless of persecution, must be carried to all people. And so as we leave today, exiled in America, It is our passion and our desire to take the word of the Lord to our neighbors, to our family members, to our co-workers, and around the world. Because Jesus is on his throne, and he will be forever. Pray with me. God, we thank you for Peter's words to us this morning how he tells us to live while we are in exile. 
God, we love you. We know that you want to do a mighty work in this city, in our lives and around the world. Father, I pray that we would be receptive to how you want to use us as a church, as an individual. Speak to us. Show us what we can do to help the gospel endure where we live. God, I want to just read the words that Peter himself read to his audience when he said, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We believe that this morning. Show us the areas where our conduct needs to improve. Show us the areas where we need to step out in faith and be set apart. Speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.